Hey everyone, Jackson Heyman here letting you know that Soundbite Theater is taking the month of May off. While we are, though, enjoy this feed drop of the newest episode of Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman, which is going weekly this month. Enjoy this episode, and Soundbite will be back with brand new episodes on June 2nd. birthday to me and welcome to recommended reading with jackson Heyman. but specifically welcome back to x month this is the month of may where we talk about some of the best x-men stories this month the year 2022 we are discussing the original stan lee and jack kirby x-men run from the 1960s and yes you heard me right when this episode airs on may 12th 2022 I will have been f- 23 for four days, and we are recording this well or in, way in advance in March of 2022, and I am joined by not Robert Pattinson, but he does listen to Nirvana's Something in the Way on loop. It's Nick Cordonier. How you doing, Chonk? Happy birthday, Jackson. Yeah, that's right. Happy early birthday. Yeah. Or late month- birthday, depending on when... The viewers are listening to this. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, um, how are you doing, Chonk? Um, I'm I'm doing good. I'm doing much better now that I've read Uncanny X-Men issue four. That's correct. Well, you're also doing way better since you saw the Batman. And mm. we need to talk about this right now. Yes, we can get Batman out of the way. Yes. So we are two weeks post the Batman, I think. Yep. I have seen it twice. I saw it last night because my dad was like, oh, we're not doing anything. Let's go see the Batman at seven at night. And I was like, oh, no. Had had he not seen it before? No, he hasn't. This was his first time, my second. Gotcha. He, we both liked it. Um, He was surprised that Colin Farrell was the penguin. Did he not know? Well, he turned to me, like, in the theater as we were watching. He was like, who is this actor? And I was like, oh, Uh that's Colin Farrell. And he was like, oh, I need to look up a picture of Colin Farrell. And after we left, he looked up a picture of Colin Farrell and was like, no, that can't be right. Nice. What did you think of the Batman? I know we've talked. (laughs) Yeah, I'll just jump right into it. I loved it. I I loved every second of it from the and it it was so funny because, okay. So my buddy Agu flew in uh, to see me. Haley surprised me at like 5 a.m. She's like, hey, Nick, I need to go pick up a coworker from the airport. And I was like, okay. And then 30 minutes later, I'm awoken to Agu standing in my room. And I was like, oh, okay. And so she flew him out to see the Batman. So, you know, we were all, you know, all day we were hyped for. We kept getting hyped. And then we went Friday night to go see it. And the minute the movie began, 
Agu and I started laughing, and we just and we but like in the best way, and we did not stop until the movie was over because I loved it. But I also thought it was the goofiest thing I've ever seen in my life, and I think that's why I liked it so much. It like rebels. That, that movie was straight, like was just goofy, but it was it was taking itself so seriously, but also not seriously. That it, like it balanced. It revels in how much it takes itself seriously. I think I because mm-hmm. I started realizing this last night when I saw it again, and I was like, oh. Oh, they are leaning into this. Yeah. I Spoilers for the Batman, I guess. This is coming out two months after after it premiered, so I think we're safe. But, like, the thumb drive moment. That is, mm-hmm. I still think, my favorite oh, this moment. this guy's hilarious. <laughs> Just, I, there's so much that everyone brings to that movie mm-hmm. where you're just like, oh... Even quoting the most random lines will like be funny to people. Yep. Like the moment the monologue, because it, it opens with that monologue, right? And the second it started, I was like, this is so, like, I, I don't know how to explain it. Like, it was taking itself as seriously, or it, it realized it was a comic book movie. And yeah. in doing so, like, you don't need to be super serious. So it was leaning into the goofy, but wasn't like, like sticky or like um what's the word i'm looking for like it wasn't trying to be corny or anything like that like it was taking itself seriously but was also not afraid to be goofy yeah so like the opening monologue like they think i'm hiding in the shadows but i am the shadows like he said that and i was like oh my god like it was just like you know so like so like so comic book silly but also presented in a way where it was like believable if that makes sense. Yeah, the fun of it doesn't come from having quips or anything. It's not a quippy movie, mm-hmm. but it's a funny movie simply because of like there's actual wit to it. Yeah. And I think I I think so much of the humor comes from Jeffrey Wright as Jim Gordon, I think. Yeah. Like everything he said was so fun. You tell me can who's must it what what's the line? Whose mustache? Who's the mustache with the broken nose? Kenzie Narcotics. <laughs> He's one of the guys I got into at the Iceberg Lounge. You tell me Kenzie moonlights for the penguin? Maybe he moonlights as a cop. Nah, he moonlights as a cop. How am I gonna get out of here? I'll never be able to get out of here. Not if you punch me in the face. Like, just stuff like that was just so silly. I... <laughs> I but I, I just... loved it. It's so silly, but it is so serious and something I did catch on my second viewing. Did you notice that after they leave Colin Farrell penguin, like out under the bridge and, and he's, he's like waddling. He, yeah. He's waddling away. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, this is beautiful. Well, I, another thing is that like Colin Farrell's penguin is so much is where so much of the comedy comes from because he is straight up a cartoon. He is, he, a, car- he is a cartoon. He's like, hey, come on. hey, take it easy, sweetheart. Hey, a, a vengeance. L, L and La, am I the only one who knows the difference between L and La? Hey, world's greatest detectives here. Um, Look what you did in my partner's face. Hey, what are you showing me? Hey, come on. Like, it was all so funny. I, I am going to send you a meme right now that I have been, like, thinking about since I saw the Batman. Okay. And it's just, 
I, I'm going to describe to the viewers. I just sent it to you. It's a picture of Colin Farrell as the penguin with the with the caption, they hate to see a bitch from New Jersey winning. <laughs> and this is this is my favorite image of all time now. This is pretty accurate. But, no, I, in but all we're... seriousness, I loved that movie. Like I thought it was great. It's I loved incredible. The story. It Yeah. The I could I could go on and on with how much I love how it uses like light and color and shadow and it lo- yeah it looks fantastic it looks amazing it I I remember talking to you about this before you saw it and now and I was like I quoted some tweet that was like Dune Blade Runner twenty forty nine and this are how blockbusters should look now mm-hmm. I think like. And I have a coworker who was like, oh, I'll probably just wait till it comes on HBO Max. And I was like, no, 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 you have to see this in a theater because I think it adds so much to it. Yeah, I agree. It it is a very beautiful looking movie, like probably one of probably one of, if not the most like beautiful comic book movies I've ever seen with like with one of the best scores, I think. Yeah, no. That score is fantastic, and I love Michael. What, what's his last name? Giacchino. Something like that. I I love him because he does the uh, the score for the Incredibles. He yeah he does the Incredibles. He did. Mm-hmm. I think he did the later Mission Impossible movie, movies too. Yeah, I think he worked with uh, Brad Bird on his Mission Impossible movie. He also I, I did. Say I he think he also did Ratatouille. Yes, he did Ratatouille. I think he he's credited with that. One song from Ratatouille that I really like, the La Espen or La Fespen. He did do Ratatouille. Yes, he did. He also did Speed Racer. Oh my God, he did Speed Racer. And up, so he he actually did a lot of the um, the Pixar movies. The good, the the like the Pixar's later period, but not the period they're in now. He also did Inside Out. So yeah, he he's got a lot of stuff up his sleeve. Jojo Rabbit. He did Jojo Rabbit? Apparently. He did. I know he did the Space Mountain music at Disneyland. Oh, I, I, great? I know that for sure. Because I was like, oh, this is a Giacchino. Oh, and he also did Amer- an American Pickle. <laughs> he also did an American Pickle 2020. Did you see that? Did you see an American Pickle? No. I didn't. I no. almost did. Although I, I did listen to the first three chapters of Seth Rogen's audiobook. Oh, how was that? It was okay. <laughs> it was okay. I'm getting tired of... I've read, like, so many books by actual authors that I'm getting tired when, like, it's a celebrity ghostwriting. Yeah. Oh, I you know, completely... Because then, then it's like, this isn't a book. This is kind of just a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I... I think there are certain, like, celebrity memoirs that do it good, but, like, nothing, like, like, we don't need every famous person cranking out an autobiography or a memoir. Yeah. We don't need that. Unless it's, like, The Disaster Artist, which I think is a great book. Mm-hmm. But X-Men, we are talking about... X-Men, let's get right into it. We're talking about the X-Men, um... This is issue four of the original X-Men series, uh, subtitled The Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, written by Stan Lee, pencils and colors by Jack Kirby, inks by Paul Reinman, and letters by Art Simic, um, released January 1964. 
even though the cover is dated March, I, I did some research on this and I was like, oh, it's got these two like different dates. I found out that at, at the beginning of this series that it was releasing every other month instead of monthly. So it was... Oh, interesting. Because like this was that weird period where like the X-Men hadn't really found their stride yet. They weren't like the big thing that Marvel was pushing. Like they mm-hmm. were in the eighties and the nineties. So it was like it it was a series that no one was really like into at this point yet. Mm-hmm. Or at least it hadn't found its footing yet. Okay. Yeah, because I kinda get because this is the first X-Men comic I've ever read. And also this is by far the oldest comic I've ever read too. Yeah. Cause like I don't think I've read anything that predates like two thousand six. Yeah. <laughs> 1964, yes. baby. Yes, because I feel like All-Star Superman's the oldest thing I've read. And I feel like that's like 2006, 2008, maybe. Yeah. But it, it was just interesting because this is also the first, like, issue I've read. Because all the comics I've read have been, uh, like, collections or whatever. Yeah. Volumes, maybe, is the correct term. Collections, full series, not just, like, a single yeah. issue. Exactly, and this is the first single-issue comic book I've ever read. So it was kind of interesting jumping into that, to its core, serialized story. story like, storytelling. Like, yeah. it ends on a cliffhanger. And it, it ends with, like, a, what's going to happen in the next issue? It, It's a very 60s comic. Because, like, mm-hmm. you... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do we want to just jump into it? Like, I... Well, we should actually talk about, like, why we picked this issue... Because, like, I wanted to cover some of the seminal early stories from the original run of the X-Men. So I wanted to cover big first appearances, big key moments. And this is a big one, because this is the first appearance of the aptly titled Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Okay. I was going to ask, is this... So I know this is the first first time we see Toad. The (laughs) first introduction to Toad. But is it the first introduction to Magneto? No, Magneto is the villain of the first issue too. Okay. So like you, you he is the first villain that the X Men ever fight. But this is like the first time he gathers up a group of mutants to go after them. Interesting. Okay. Because we have two other issues between the first issue and this, and the villains of those are the Vanisher who hasn't really gotten much. taken off? No, no, I, well, okay. I think technically he has been in a, in a Marvel movie because there was a character named Vanisher in Deadpool 2. Oh, is he the one played by Brad Pitt? Yeah, it's the Brad Pitt cameo. Wonderful. And then the other villain is the Blob. So, so you only get like those two and Magneto, and then this is the first time you get a team of evil mutants because you get Toad, like we said, you yep. get Mastermind, who is a character that like really hasn't gotten his day in the 21st century. I was going to say, because this is the first time I've ever heard of him. So I was going to say, like, does he just, is he just an early 60s villain? I believe in my research, I found out he does come back in the Dark Phoenix saga and plays a major role there. Of course he does. <laughs> um, but then we also get um, 
the other two very important characters here, we get Quicksilver and the Scar of the Witch. Yes, we do. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. I started yawning at the worst moment. I was, like, actually about to ask a question, and I started yawning uncontrollably. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, so... See, is this our first... This is our first introduction to those two characters. Yes, right? this is the first time they ever showed up in comics. And they they even... It's interesting, because I was reading it, and they go back to their uh, their origin. How, like, they lived in a European country, and how Scarlet Witch was going to be burned at the stake because they thought she was a witch... And then Magneto shows up and, like, saves them, which is also how they join the Brotherhood. Mm -hmm. So my question was, I know canonically Magneto is the father of both Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Was that retconned way down the line, like 20, 30 years later? Or was that a a story development that happened pretty soon after this? Because in this issue, there's no hint that they're, you know, father and daughter. Oh, so this is very much news to me. I because I just looked this up. The first time like it's ever confirmed is that is in an issue of Vision and the Scarlet Witch in 1982. Okay, so it's it's a ways. So it's ways like down a the line. two decade time of them being in the comics before it's actually revealed that like he's their father. Interesting. And that's also interesting that it comes up in A Vision in the Scarlet Witch story. Which I I think it kind of makes sense, but, like, I don't know what they were... Because that was, like, the classic miniseries where they were, like, living their lives. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when the kids showed up, but I don't... I don't know. what I, Why I wanted to do X Month and all of this was to actually go back and read stuff that I have always wanted to read, but never really, like had the chance to had have you never read these early uncanny x-men titles not these early ones i've read a few things from the 80s and the 70s but Mm. nothing this early with this team interesting oh speaking of which we should talk about the team oh yes who's on this incarnation of the x-men so yeah feel free to jump in if i'm missing anybody but it's of course led by professor x and then we have cyclops we have Jean Grey, who they maybe call Marvel Girl or something. Yeah, that was her original name for a while. Interesting. Which, okay. Weird. Yeah, because she's not... Well, does she even have, like, an actual uh, super name? I, I think... know she's called the Dark Phoenix at, at one point. She goes by Phoenix for a while. I think... I think... Correct me if I'm wrong, but as of right now... I think um, she is back to going by Jean Grey or Marvel Girl. Interesting. Okay, because so, I had never heard her referred to as Marvel Girl before. It's a weird... Because we're, we're going to cover the first issue before this. Again, we're recording these way in advance, but it's an interesting, like, oh, that's a name I would never really would have, like, picked for her from, mm-hmm. like, the 2022 context. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting that they're bringing it back, as you say. But it's it's Cyclops, Jean Grey slash Marvel Girl, and then it's also Hank McCoy Beast, Angel, and Bobby, whatever his last name is, Iceman. Yep. Is that it? Uh, yeah, that's the original five. Yep, so that's, that's who we got in the story. Yeah, 
And I do, because I'm going to point this out a couple other times, but we do need to talk about how Bobby looks in this issue. And, like, in the early, early issues. Because when you think of, like, Iceman, you think of just, like, a guy, like, with an ice, like, body. Yes. He yes. looks like a snowman right now. He looks like the abominable snowman in this. <laughs> when, he's, when he's iced up. When he's iced up, he, like, he has lumps. And it's very interesting. Yes. So, in this issue, we start with, like, a training montage. Yep, they're in the danger room. They're in and the danger room. Is, is this the first appearance of the danger room? Let me look. I am flipping through my big... Um, Your encyclopedia. Well, I have... So, I, so for the listeners, I am holding up Ooh. a big um, essential X-Men paperback that's entirely in black and white from maybe the 90s, maybe the early 2000s, that I bought for $5 at, um, shout out to Collector's Edge Comics South in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for having this in like a $5 bin that I was like, oh, I need to have these issues somehow, and I'd like to have them physically. So I was, so, oh, hello. Okay, so we have the, I'm seeing, I'm looking for the danger room. I, I am on marvelfandom.com, and it looks like the Danger Room appeared in the first issue of Uncanny X-Men. Yes. Yes, it did. But I think this might be the first time it's referred to as the Danger Room. As the Danger Room. Well, it's because it, it seems like this is the introduction, because they taught, like, okay, so there's a lot of exposition in this issue, right? Like, we'll just get that out of the way. Yeah. But it it's like the first page is like professor x is like be careful you're in the danger room we do simulations this is the danger room and is like very much holding the audience's hand through this if because i've been reading all of the issues prepping for these records and i was like oh there is so much like people just expositing as they speak oh yeah it's yeah it's like they're because like we we it, we are thrown into like Beast doing training in the danger room, and like there's panels where he's like a power mace have to do this. Oh look, a new trap! Time to zigzag around. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting too because like I said, this is the first early comic I've read, but like they'll show it right, like the panel will show the action. But then they will either have exposition, like in the form of like na a narrative bubble, or will have the character say out loud what they're doing, which I thought was so, maybe it's just like a sign of the times back then, but I just thought it was interesting that they don't have more of the art speaking for itself, you know? This was the era of what I believe is referred to as the Marvel method, where like, so the scriptwriter would send a very loose outline to the artist and mm. they would work from that loose outline and draw everything and then the writer would come in and add word balloons or things and add the dialogue to the completed artwork oh interesting so when when the scriptwriter or whatever you know when the writer would send the artist the script would it have any dialogue or would it just be like a, a log or would it just be a treatment? It would be like a sorts? treatment or an outline being like, here's what has to happen. This go, happens and then they do the interesting. Go draw this. I will put dialogue in later. Hmm. 
That's really fascinating. I didn't know that's how early comics were written. It's specifically Marvel, I think, because this was very much like the era of where Stan Lee was writing everything. Yeah. And so he had to work with a bunch of artists to be like, hey, here's what I want to do. Do this. I'll put in the uh, the dialogue later. Or as he would have said it, like, hey, hey, hey do, man, do this. Hey, I'm Stan Lee. I'm not going to pay you, Jack Kirby. Hey, I'm going to extort you all. You, Steve <laughs> Ditko, you, Jack Kirby, you don't get any of this. <laughs> I'm gonna get all of this. It's all of me, and I'm, and I'm gonna die a rich, wealthy, powerful oh. man. Oh yeah, he definitely did. Yeah. Uh, that's that's so funny. I I we can't discredit how important Stanley was, but it with an era of like the artist was doing so much to tell the story, we have to shout out Jack Kirby here, who. You know, I really like his 60s artwork. Except... Yeah, it, it's very, it's, I, I, maybe it's just because this is like, of course, the first issues of X-Men, but it's very like, when I think of the X-Men, a lot of times I do think of this early artwork, because it's so iconic. Yeah, and I think char like character design, everything sticks with these designs well into the 21st century. Yeah, that's These guys... Point all get costumes costume upgrades later on um beast gets a completely different cosmetic transition I, I was gonna say beast is the one who so if you're not familiar with the issue beast is just a human but like kind of like a, a bulky short human with big old feet yeah his he doesn't have the blue fur that yeah. we know of today his mutation is his feet which you know isn't isn't it all of ours <laughs> isn't it all um so beast is training and there there's another like piece of wacky exposition where he's like oh this rope will get me over the water obstacle oh no it snaps because it's paper mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> i loved that bit oh no this was actually paper I thought it was a rope. Just goes to, and then Professor X is like, see, you can't trust anything in the danger room. <laughs> He's like, oh no, I'm careless. I didn't realize that this rope was a piece of paper. And and that's the lesson he has to learn with this. Like, he, you, you need to pay attention. You need, you, listen to me. You have to learn the difference between rope and paper. Which is interesting because it kind of comes full circle. At the climax, because they have the well, the mas they have mastermind, and mastermind's power is he can do illusions. So it it calls back to where they're falling for mastermind's illusions, where beast will think something is one like beast will think he's climbing a sheet of ice, so he'll fall to the ground because there's nothing for him to grip onto, when in fact he's climbing a building, but mastermind has just tricked him into falling because he thinks he doesn't have a grip. Yeah, this early, like, Danger Room training sequence sets up the two, like, arcs of this issue because you've got Hank, who is, like, you can't be careless. You have to, like, assess the situation. And then you have Bobby, who's, like, you're too, he's too overconfident. You can't rush into situations like this. And you get my favorite panel of Bobby in this issue. 
in Wait, that no, second... I think we might be thinking of the same panel, because is... I have it pulled up here, too. Is it the ice slide? Is... No, it's right before the ice slide. Wait, no, it is the ice slide. <laughs> Where he's like... It's no matter, right? Yeah, no matter what you will throw... And he's like, oh, he, this is like, I did look, the, do the research on this. This is the first time where he like uses his powers like this to, to create a slide, to create a slide and basically do what I think of when I think of like people with ice powers. Like this yeah, is exactly, this is the Frozone move too. Yep. Now you like it because of the artwork because he's sliding on his butt on the slide. <laughs> I like it because this is the funniest line in the entire issue. And I want to I want to read it for you real quick. Yes. So this is Bobby. This is Nicholas Cordonier reading for the part of Bobby Iceman Bobby. No matter what you throw at me, your boy the Iceman will whip up an icy defense in jig time, like this little instant freeze roller coaster. We. <laughs> and I read that and I was like, what the hell did Jackson give me? So much of this is 60s. Oh, it is, yeah. it is incredibly... What is jig time? I don't know. I don't if even someone, want to know. Someone who was born in the 60s, please let us know what jig time is. So funny. Okay, uh, I'm on freedictionary.com. Uh, <laughs> jig time, very quickly, rapidly. <laughs> Origin unknown. Okay, Okay. But I, I just thought it was very funny. Yeah, well, it is pretty 60s. Like, they're using some old 60s slang. Some stuff's going on. And I also... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will bring this up in the issue when we cover the first issue with a different guest. Because, again, we're recording these out of order. But, like, did you know what Cyclops' original, like, name designation was? No, I don't. Okay. So, I think this is just an issue one, but he is referred to the entire time as Slim Summers. Not that's, s- I like that. That's good. They just call him Slim. That's pretty good, Slim Summers. Hey, hey, it's me, Slim Summers. So, that's like his name, though, right? Yeah, that's that... not his, like, super name? No, no, n- no, no, he is... Well, it later gets retconned, like, his name is Scott. But mm-hmm. then... But for, like, the first issue, he's just, like, Slim that's great. I love that. If you could I have like a s- if you could have like a sixties nickname, would you want yours to be Slim? Slim's probably the best sixties nickname I can come up with. Hey, it's me Slim Cordoneer. It's me, Slim Chunk. What's <laughs> up, everyone? Uh something I do find interesting because okay, so like as a kid I was a big fan of the X-Men. But all I knew about the X-Men came from the X-Men Evolution TV show of yes. the early two thousands, which is the greatest <laughs> Which is just so good. It is the greatest piece of animated media I've ever seen. I I still love it. But it was basically that, and then like a little bit of the movies and such. But I always thought, and I know this is wrong, but I always thought that Cyclops' powers were he could like shoot fire beams. Like, I thought it was heat that comes out of his eyes. But I know, I know it's not, but then this comic like really holds your hand and tells you it's not. Because he's, like, straight up zapping men, and they're just, like, rolling away. Yeah. Because I know that actually his superpower is, and this is going to sound so nerdy, but his eyes are actually a portal to another dimension. And, right? Like, this is all right. 
And that power is actually the energy of that other dimension coming through the portals that are his eyes. So it's not fire. It won't melt you. It's literally just an energy beam. Yeah, it's like, it's referred to sometimes like concussive force blast. Yes, yes. So it's like, it is... It is specifically not like a heat vision scenario. It is he will. It's basically like if he hits you with his eye beams, you get punched. Yeah, yeah. But this issue raises that question even more because, you know, after like this danger room training sequence, like he tr- Xavier's like, no, Gene, it's time for your lesson. Use your use your telekinesis to lift this box. And then, and then she lifts out a birthday cake. I was about to say. That's the lesson. (laughs) I remembered this. And then Slim Summers is like, let me cut that for you my way, Gene. And he cuts the cake using his eyes. Yeah. Which. Using the beam of his eyes. If they're like force beams, they shouldn't be able to make that precise of a cut. Well, maybe he can like control the precision of it. You know, I don't know. Because I feel like if it's a force blast, that cake should just be exploded. Yeah, but, like, maybe he's, like, squinting a little bit or something. So, like, the force blast is, like, really, really, you know, like, just really tiny. Okay, hold on. Like, I gotta cut the, I gotta cut this cake. Yeah. I I gotta squint. Like, he's really concentrating. And and so we get an entire, like, we get a panel of, like, all the X-Men having fun, eating cake, celebrating one year of being a team, one year of being students, and then Mm. it hard cuts to the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants just sadly eating dinner together. Yeah, and it's like, on another side of the globe, other mutants are sitting around, but this isn't a happy occasion. Like, (laughs) it's very funny. I love this 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 could have very well been a a radio play. Uh, Exactly. I love this panel so much. Um... We, I think we should introduce each of these evil mutants as, like, they're oriented around the table here. Starting with Toad. Because Toad's got the funniest expression here. Yeah, they also massacred my boy. <laughs> this is not the Toad I know. This is not, hashtag not my Toad. We should, let, let, I'll give you the floor to talk about your experience with Toad. Because... You have expressed so much that Toad is your favorite X-Men villain. He's one of my favorite for sure, Skis. I like Toad because, once again, all I know him from... Well, not all I know him from, but my Toad is the Toad from X-Men Evolutions. Who looks like a... I wish I could show, you know, the listeners a photo. But he looks like a good old country boy. Like, he's got a bit of a mullet. You know, he's wearing ripped jeans. He's a teenager. He's wearing like a brown shirt, but then like a long sleeve shirt underneath the brown shirt, like a la a Tony Hawk pro skater. And then his uh, super, like his uh, his costume, like his super villain costume, is uh, very much just a toad costume. Like the, for no reason whatsoever, there is a a big old lump on his back. Yeah, that's part of the costume. He's got the back lump. He's got the back lump. And how does Toad in this issue look? I, I like Danny DeVito. Like, l- you know, looking like short and stubby and like, bleh. like, this is not a high schooler like the Toad I know is. 
This is a 40 to 50 year old man. This is a 40 to 50 year old man who like doesn't eat using utensils, who like just, <laughs> he's got like a little collar, like a little jester collar. He's, yeah. he, he's dressed like a court jester, basically. A little bit, yes. And it's hashtag not my toad. It's not it's your not toad. To- it's not the toad I like. It's not the toad I want. This is just straight not my toad. I'm a, I'm also looking at a reference photo of him. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. And sitting next to him, who is visibly annoyed at how much toad is like chomping and chewing, is Pietro Maximoff, aka Quicksilver, who who has not cosmetically changed. He looks, since we saw him. Yeah, he looks great. He, yeah, I think, it's a good design. I think that is a, it is a good design. I, I like this outfit. I think, you know, he calls Toad an obnoxious fool, and I'm just like, hey man, that's this Toad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Also, one other thing about my Toad is he has like white skin, like, like really, really pale white. Yeah, skin. Yeah, he's very pale. Like his skin is gray. This and toad, that's toad is... I, that's the toad I know. That's my toad. <laughs> this toad is just some white jester. Yeah. It's just some white pudgy jester. Little pudgy man. And it's not my toad. This and being that... said, I do... I don't know if I like this toad better than the toad that appears in X-Men 1. Oh my played god. Played by the guy who plays Darth Maul, actually. Wait, that's Ray Park? Mm-hmm. It is. Oh my... I, I gotta go back is. and watch X-Men 1 check. again. I mean, Wait, I it? don't, I don't want to watch X Men One because that movie is directed by Brian Singer. But what Brian Singer do? <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Of course, what do you, I know what he do? Yeah, he directed that horrible Superman movie. Hey, hey, hey! Oh, you hey. like Superman Returns? You know, I don't anymore because of some of the people involved. But Brandon Routh's great. Sure. You know who's great in that movie? No. You know who's great? Don't say it. The the guy who plays Lex Luthor. Oh yeah, I wonder what his name is. Do you think <laughs> I, I think I saw him in that like Oscar selfie that one time <laughs> taken by you know, somebody else who I don't recognize. He, he was in that movie A Billionaire Boys Club. <laughs> <laughs> the movie that grossed a hundred dollars on on its opening night. Hey, I think I see him from, like, making weird, like, YouTube videos every Christmas. But going back to Ray Parker Toad, or Ray Park Toad. Ray Parker uh, Toad? Ray Parker Toad. Do you think, <laughs> did, this toad, do, did this Toad do the Ghostbusters theme song? He did, as a matter of fact. No, but this Toad has, like, green hair and, like, green scaly skin. And also, also looks like shit. Yeah. Like, this is also not my Toad. And then there's also that Toad from, like, Days of Future Past who, like, has the goggles. Oh, yeah. I don't mind that Toad, though. That Toad's cool. But, like, also, those, like, the villains in that don't really get to do anything. Like, there's just that. In Days of Future Past or Yeah, there's just that that scene where Mystique breaks him out of, like, Vietnam or something. Yeah, she straight does. And then I think, okay, there's a photo of him working at a, at a, a, a diner afterwards that I found pulled up. So, oh. I, but I don't remember that scene from the movie. What I also find so funny about X Men: Days of Future Past is that Toad had his own poster. That's right. For that movie, he did have his own poster. 
and then he is in just that scene. He's just in that scene. I love Toad. He's like my favorite villain. To be fair, he's my favorite X Men villain, and then Nightcrawler's my favorite X Men. (laughs) As is everybody's. Yeah, everybody loves awesome. We we are Nightcrawler Nation here. Um, both the character, the Jake Gyllenhaal movie, Nightcrawler Nation. The profession, no, no. The profession, Nightcrawler. Yeah, what Jake Gyllenhaal does. Is that is that what that profession is called? Like it's called a Nightcrawler. I don't know. I okay. Because I always wondered why the movie was called Nightcrawler. Why is yeah? Why is that movie called Nightcrawler? I just didn't ask. Why is it? Why isn't it an X Men movie? Yeah. Why not? Why wasn't Jake Gyllenhaal ever in an X Men movie? (laughs) I don't. You okay? I do want a quick tangent because this is something I don't think I've told you yet, but this is something I found out yesterday. Okay. You want to know who was in talks to be in the X-Men franchise before, like, everything got sold to Disney? John Hamm. Yeah. Yeah. Was yeah. that who you were going to say? Yes, it was. He was going to play Mr. Sinister, Yes, right? okay, so you did see this. Yep, yep, in, uh, in, what was it called? It's going to be New Mutants. New Mutants? I actually watched New Mutants. How? What did you think of New Mutants? It was horrible. <laughs> it's so bad. And it was, like, so horrible and also, like, a little racist sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's one character who is indigenous, mm-hmm. and they make a lot of jokes about it. Like, one of the characters who we're supposed to, like, root for at the end is, like, saying some very offensive stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they really didn't know how to handle those characters. No? No. Uh, that being I- said, I had a great time watching it. No, but I thought that he he filmed a scene for the New Mutants. I I think it, he was in talks to film a scene for the. But new he movie. never did. Okay. He never did, because at the end of Apocalypse, I think there's that tease where it's like the Essex Corporation. Yes, and yes, yes, yes. I've been having this conversation with a lot of people. The Fox X Men tried to set up so much, oh, and it yeah. was like setting up like the most elaborate dominoes display, and then stomping all over it. It's so funny that they set up so much and yet did Dark Phoenix twice. Yeah, and both times sucked. Yeah, both times horrible. Like both times arguably the worst of the of the franchise. Yeah, like they they tried to do it two times and both tanked the respective versions of that franchise. That's very true. Although I will say, I do have a soft spot for X-Men Origins Wolverine. <laughs> Really? I think that movie's not horrible. I... And I I only say that because when I was in eighth grade, it was the only X-Men movie that I could watch regularly because I got a little bored by the other ones because they were a little too long. I do not like how Deadpool is handled in that, but... I love how Deadpool's handled in that. You like just sewing Ryan Reynolds' mouth shut? No, but I also also don't like Deadpool. Like, Deadpool kind of... Deadpool is a character that can grow, that that really, like, has to... You have to like him or you don't. Yeah. You ever, and... see, you ever seen a The Wolverine? Yeah, I have, actually. I love the first ten minutes of that movie. Yeah. The rest of that movie's not great. Hey, will you... Can you believe it's directed by the same guy who directed Logan? What? It's directed by uh, James Mangold. No. no he that directs can... both of them. That can't be right. He does. That He also directed Ford v. Ferrari, the loudest movie I've ever seen. 
<laughs> that movie is so loud. Oh, Haley and I saw her once. <laughs> we were the only ones in the theater. The only ones in the theater, and it was so, like, five minutes in, I turned to Haley and I go, this is the loudest movie I've ever seen. And then I went, but I bet my dad would love this movie. And then my dad watched it and loved it. (laughs) You know, I've, I've realized the trend of the loudest movie wins the sound Oscars. Yeah, did it win the sound Oscar? I think it won one of them. Because this was right before they lumped the two in both mixing and editing into one. Oh, I didn't know they did. Because I know Sound of Metal won Achievement in Sound. Oh, interesting. Oh, and Achievement in Sound is like the lump together. Yeah, it's mixing and editing together, I think. Interesting. So what, like Dune's going to win it this year? Maybe. Probably. What if it's a tick, tick, boom? I know it's not nominated. It's not nominated. It should be nominated more. It should be. I haven't seen it. I've seen like three movies this year. I'm gonna get on my 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 high horse. Andrew Garfield deserves everything. He deserves. You know, I think he might actually win Best Actor. I would not doubt it. I think he's gonna take it. I. He might. I'm ready for this to come out in May and me to be proved completely wrong. <laughs> That's so true. By the time this comes out, the Oscars will be two years removed. <laughs> Yeah. Two months removed. Oh so, my god. Back to the back to the Brotherhood. We have Quicksilver, and then we have the Scarlet Witch, who mm-hmm. like they're established as siblings here, and you can definitely tell that Pietro is like, I am gonna pick fights if people are annoying my sister. And then we get Mastermind, who is this other character whose whole deal is he can like project illusions that are so photorealistic that everyone believes them. Yeah. And he demonstrates this by turning Toad's head into a pig. Yeah, he does. That's like the second panel, too. And we we get a taste of these characters, and we get how much they hate each other. It's very much a, like, we're just work acquaintances that we can't stand. Because, mm-hmm. like, Toad yeah. is this, like, sniveling kiss-ass who is like, Oh, I love the leader. I love our boss. Hey, I'm Toad. Hey. It's then, me, Toad. It's me. And then Mastermind is like just fucking with everyone, just like doing illusions. And then Quicksilver is this hothead who will, yep. is like, oh, I'm going to fucking kick your ass because you suck. And me yeah, and my sister. And, sis- and you're being mean to my, my sister. And then. Wanda's sort of just there. She's just like, I am done with all of this. Yeah, she doesn't have too much to do in this, which is kind of sad. It's it's sad knowing how interesting of a character she becomes later. Yeah. Just being like, oh. She's just like, oh, boys will be boys. Yeah, and she does have that scene. So, like, going back to when she's in the European country and she's being, like, burned at the stake or about to be burned at the stake. And it's so funny because... Uh, Magneto jumps in and he's like, uh, these homo sapiens will kill you. I'm here to save you. And then Scarlet Witch, I think verbatim her line is something like, I owe you my life now. I I am forever in your service or something. Yeah, Which it's like, literally, the line is literally, whoever you are, I owe you my life. Yeah, so like, that's why she's, you know, in his brotherhood now, because he saved your life. And then Quicksilver is like, I still, I still don't really buy, 
buy what you're selling, but yeah. if my sister is into it, I'm going to stay. Yep, which is interesting, too, because... So, in the original comic... Well, obviously, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are villains in this in this issue. Yes. But are they, in the early comics, are they, like, anti-heroes? Or do they keep switching sides? Very Or are quick, they just straight villains? Very quickly after their appearances here, like in the next couple of issues, they then go either attack the Avengers and, like, are reformed, or they just straight up run away and, like, hey, we're going to be heroes, we're going to join the Avengers. Okay, that makes sense, because I don't know if we want to skip this far, but basically, you know, to kind of condense the story, Magneto takes over a European country, like, or a European city. Yeah. And, you know, you know X-Men go, and, you know, do their stuff and try to save the day. But at the end of the issue, basically, long story short, a bomb is about to go off. Mm -hmm. And Magneto's like, screw these X-Men, I'm going to blow up them and the city. And Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are like, what? You're going to blow up all these people? And he's like, they're homo inferiors. What are you talking about? They deserve to die. But then Quicksilver decides to, you know, defuse the bomb. Mm -hmm before the Brotherhood makes their escape. So you start to see that little sprinkling of, well, he might be a good guy. Or, I, you know, he's not all bad. I think it's set up very much like, they're not all the way into this like Toad is, but but they're like, oh, we're just going to go along with this because this guy saved my sister's life. And Yeah, exactly. We we should also mention that the the way he Magneto takes over this nation is by like, Doing the same thing Kevin Bacon does in X Men First Class and like steals like a freighter or a sub. I thought, yeah, yeah. I because when I read that part, I was like, wait, is this where X Men First Class gets it from? Because he like, like steals the submarine slash like, you know, big old boat. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, that's very X Men First Classy. And I was like, oh, Kevin Bacon did this. Kevin Bacon did that. Kevin Bacon was a Magneto. Kevin Bacon... And, and, and that's where, like, the similarities between this and X-Men First Class... Yeah. It's basically... Like, because this doesn't have anything to do with the Cuban Missile Crisis. No, no. And X-Men First Class has everything to do with the Cuban Missile Crisis. How good is X-Men First Class? It's the best one. It is It the... also has the guy who plays Oliver Babish in the West Wing in it. It does? Uh, yeah, he uh, he's he's somebody in it. I never saw... I've never and seen Zoe the West Wing. And Kravitz is in it. There... They're so like it's a good movie, right? Zoe, wait, I'm I'm not making that up. Zoe Kravitz is in X Men First Class. Wait, is she? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. She plays. I think she's got wings. Oh right, because that's she's like the angel that isn't angel. Yes, and I think her name. Might oh yeah, her be name angel. is her character's name is Angel Salvador. Oh, interesting. So they just kind of gender bent that role for them. Uh, That's interesting. Actually, there is a there is another there is a character named Angel Salvador in the comics who doesn't oh, show okay. up until like the late nineties, two thousands, I believe. Oh, so she is playing someone from the comics. Yeah, I I know that character gets into a gets married to one of my favorite X Men, Beak. Do you do you know about Beak Chunk? I think you've told me about Beak, but yeah, tell Beak, the listeners. Beak is the man who looks like a chicken, and that's his mutation. Some of the X Men do get screwed on the on the mutations. I'm, I'm yeah. going to be honest. 
that's another thing. Like none of the yeah. <laughs> mutants. Beak's pretty cool. I found a photo of <laughs> yeah, Beak looks awesome. But oh yeah, he does. But none of the mutants here really look that different from us. Like Toad is like the like the the biggest like yeah change, and he's just like stumpy and like he leaps everywhere. And I feel like that's something. Oh, I mean, I mean, I feel like that's something the X Men comics like maybe get some flack for, especially the early ones, or that like the good mutants are the ones with invisible mutations. Yeah. And then like the evil mutants are the ones with physical mutations that you yeah. can see. Yeah. Absolutely, because like and it's not until the seventies where we really get characters like Nightcrawler and yeah. Logan and the who who don't look entirely human. Yeah, and I think that's something that, like, the movies, you know, movies are very much all I know about X-Men and X-Men Evolution, the TV show. But, like, I, that's something the movies kind of try to course correct and such. Yeah. And there's, like, there's, I feel like there's some narrative stuff about, like, no, your mutations are a gift, but then it's like, well, of course you think that. Like, your mutations don't kill people or mm-hmm. your mutations don't make you look like a monster, stuff like that. So, yeah. That's definitely something they lean into down the, down I, the road. I, I think the Nicholas Holt stuff in, like, the Fox X, I think that does some of that stuff, and especially with uh, Mystique there, like, there is some very interesting questions. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I completely forgot about that plot point, where, like, Mystique is like, your mutation is what makes you beautiful. Like, don't hide your mutation. Yeah. If you have blue skin and blue hair, that's okay, you know. Yeah. That's okay. But, so, Magneto, like, starts conquering this nation, but, like, and then, and then, like, the X-Men get the red alert, and they all rush into, like, Xavier's study, and he's, like, asleep. Or unconscious. And we realize that he is astral projecting with Magneto within his own consciousness, which is something that never happens again. Oh, so he's not using Cerebro? No, no, he is just, like lying there and i think it's magneto who is in initiating this so like interesting it is a power set that like neither of them display later except in one moment where in an episode in the last episode of x month that we're going to be covering um xavier does astral project and it's weird you're telling me Nightmare Alley got nominated for Best Picture. Wait, you're just figuring this out right now? <laughs> Sorry, I, I had the Best Picture nominees pulled up on my Pause. screen from Pause. earlier. You didn't know that Nightmare Alley got nominated for Best Picture? No! Dude, that movie's horrible! <laughs> that movie's atrocious! <laughs> I haven't seen it! It's so bad! <laughs> Sorry, but we can get back into it. Yeah, so Xavier never is able to astral project again. But so they go, and we get the images of, like, a massive army that's being projected as an illusion by Mastermind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's very much... This this army does remind me of something. Yeah, and I was going to ask you this, too, because canonically, Magneto is a Holocaust survivor. Which is something that I don't believe has been has been established, established yet. yet. Because mm-hmm. the image when I looked at this, the imagery that immediately came to mind was World War Two. Like it's very World War Two esque. 
the imagery of these soldiers taking over this European city. Yep. So, and, and I, I, I wanted to ask you that because then I was like, oh, that doesn't seem very Magneto esque. And and there's a lot of it where it's like, in the name of Magneto, show your papers or show your identification. Yeah, and it's also strange too because like I don't know a lot about Magneto's motivations throughout the rest of the comics, but like. Throughout this comic, he's like, no, the mutants are superior. Like, he, we must kill anybody who's not a mutant. He is straight up trying to rule the humans at this point. Like, yeah, he it, hasn't been fleshed out into, like, the more complex character that really make a lot of people fall in love with him. Yeah, and I was going to ask you that, if that's, like, kind of something that's developed a little later on. He becomes this more complex villain. Because also, like, I feel like the, like, granted, like, the the whole Holocaust survivor story has not been established yet. But it seems like this whole, like, you know, kill anyone who's not a mutant is very, is the antithesis of what I view his character to be. Yeah, like, this is definitely, like, the period of comics where the villains don't get developed. Sure. It's very much like they come in for one issue, do their plan, leave. Maybe they come back again if they're popular. Yeah. Which I guess makes sense because these are issues, so it's not like they're developing this. Yeah, it's not. The X-Men haven't really reached like the soap opera yet that they really become in the 70s and the 80s. Because, like, there's not, there's not really much drama between the kids. And, like, we haven't... Because we haven't really mentioned the the kids themselves yet. Because, like, they really are just... Whatever they talk to each other, they're just like, here, you gotta do this. You gotta yes. do... It's very much how this era of comics was written. Yeah, where there's it was, not a whole lot of character development. Well, also, it's a very, very short story. Yeah. It's 24 pages long. Yes. And it's very much just like plot, plot, plot. plot like plot, you plot. just said, a lot A lot of the dialogue is, uh, no, Cyclops, you did this, but didn't you tell that that rope was made of paper? You need to do this instead. Like, it's very, you know, the dialogue's very, ex- you know, expository. Yeah. Um, I do want to shout out how, like, the fight scenes and the motion is captured, like, through the artwork here, because it's incredible like jack kirby can do no wrong um he is my favorite artist for a reason i love the way he draws toad bouncing i i love the motion conveyed here i will say there is the the art has a very like lively feel to it yes like when they are doing action because of course they're just stills and i this might be a, a thing of the era too but like so when I think of a comic and, like, somebody's running, like, if I was a comic book artist and someone's like, draw someone running, I draw three panels in a row, that's them taking one step, two step, three step, you know, mm-hmm. and shows them doing the motion. Where this is very much like, here's one photo of them running, here's one photo of them fighting, here's another photo of them getting back in their car. You, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, it's very one, two, three... And we, I just spanned five minutes of action. Time. Yeah, it's. But it's, you still feel the, the motion in those those static shots, those absolutely. static frames. Yeah, and I think like 
especially Quicksilver, his powers are basically represented by like he's a blur the entire yes, I time. Yes, I love I love the way they show Quicksilver. It's, I think that's really smart. It's awesome. It's like a great way to like do motion and stuff. Because he's just he's not like a he's like a it's his silhouette, but it's just in vertical lines or like horizontal lines or something. Yeah. So like, there's no like blur across the screen. It's literally just a silhouette that's basically looks like static. It's very which, fun. Yeah, and like the early '60s, I, I'm sure they there wasn't a whole lot of speedsters in you know art before, so it makes it's like a really ingenious. Oh yeah, that's primitive isn't the right word, but like a very minimalistic. Early way of depi- yeah, minimalistic and like early way of showing that power, which I thought was really interesting. I I do want to point out. Um, there is that moment where, like, Angel has, like, dispatched Quicksilver, and then Scarlet Witch comes out, and she's like, what did you do to my brother? And then Angel's just like, what? He, I will read this out loud. I will do a dramatic reading of, this is Jackson Heyman reading for Warren Worthington there you III. Go. There you um, go. Wow, what a dish. If she's an evil mutant, oh, yeah. I want an application blank. Yep, I remember that one. I remember that. He part. was like, "Ooh, sign me up." He's like, "Ooh, who is this?" This is I gonna come up hilarious. in in probably all the other episodes, but the X Men in the '60s, all the dudes were very horny. Like it's very much like, like especially when Gene first shows up, they're all like, "Hey, they're all hitting on Gene." Well, when your name's Slim Summers, <laughs> you're a, you're a sex maniac. Yeah. Absolutely. Slim Summers. <laughs> hey, it's me, Slim Summers. Hello, it's ladies. Me. You know who that is? Who? That's Slim. Slim Summers. Oh, Slim Summers. Oh, this guy's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the X-Men fight, they all get to show off their powers, um, and then they all get trapped... And there's a point where, like, Bobby is the last one left. Mm-hmm. And to get into the fortress, he creates a bunch of icicles and, like, sticks them into the wall and uses them to, like, climb he, he a ladder. He's like, I gotta make my ice ladder. And the, the photo's very funny because it it's... shows him crawling on the side of a wall with little sticks of ice. It's I, very hilarious. I gotta use my iconic ice ladder. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And that's the thing where I'm talking about where it's very expository. Yeah. Um, where they're just saying, you know, nothing stands on its own. They have to explain everything. There's also, um, I will do my interpretation of a Bobby Drake panel. Um, the panel here is him running away from like a, a massive fire. And the line is, it's a river of boiling oil rushing right toward us. I hate to sound like a worry ward, but let's get out of here. <laughs> yep. Like, that is how this entire comic is plotted and dialogued. And, you know, it's not what I'm used to, but, like, I don't hate it. Yeah, I I will say something. Yeah, because I don't hate it either. Because, you know, you're still getting these, like, these moments of dialogue. But, like, it's just very, like, you know, they're just trying to explain stuff. But I do. I, I think my one complaint is the at least the male X Men 
like there's no differentiation in the characterization like they, they all talk the same they all feel the same like yeah. this is the this is of the era where like there weren't a lot of teams so like mm-hmm. so like and and these guys didn't really have like distinct personalities yet yeah well yeah and it's still like issue four so yeah. like i can understand that i because like the back half of this issue was just a fight scene and it is, yes. It's like a well-drawn, like, well-paced fight scene, but, like, it really doesn't add much to, like, talk about with, like, substance and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think we should just get into, like, final thoughts because, like, we've really covered most of the issue and our thoughts about it. I, it, it's an interesting introduction to, like, these villains because, like, yeah. they get a moment, they each, like, get a moment to show off their powers and like do something but like you don't really learn much about their lives or their personalities and yeah and i'd almost say it's more of an issue for the villains because like yeah we see the x-men and we show you know we see xavier's team and we see them show their powers and whatnot but like aside from professor x they don't get much much screen time at all not like, really I feel like cyclops and gene gray do very very little they do issue. very little like i think the standouts with the x-men here are like beast and Iceman because they have like that set up in the beginning of their individual arcs and yep. then they like those come to fruition at the end mm-hmm. and then like for the villains at least like you don't get a ton of substance with the villains either but i feel like you just get a little more screen time with them all together yeah or they're doing individualistic things like I feel like the biggest point in the entire issue is at the end when Quicksilver, you know, tries to defuse that bomb. Like yeah. that's probably the biggest character moment of the entire issue. Yeah, I, I it's it's very sixties, and yeah. like I think that is something I'm gonna say a lot this month mm-hmm. because like it it is of the times it. It does exactly what it needs to do, which is set up a story with this new group of villains mm-hmm. and pit them against the X-Men. And you can definitely tell that the they will all be coming back. Yeah. And there's even... The last thing I want to ask you is, there's at the end, like, Professor X loses his powers. Yeah. Do, I, does he get those back in the next issue? Or you haven't read these. So you I, have, I have only re- read the ones that, like, I've cherry-picked for this month. Sure. Like, I have to sit down and read all of these again because, like, you don't... It's one of those things where you don't get a lot from each individual issue. I feel like this is... Yeah, it's very, very serialized. Yeah. Because, like, even, like, I I think I mentioned it off top, but at the end it's like, will Professor X get his powers back? Tune in next week. Like, may as well say tune in next week. Yeah, exactly. And uh, although I do find it funny when Professor X loses his powers, he's like, leave me. I'm no good. Leave me to die. Leave me to die. I yeah. am I am useless without my... Yeah, he tele- literally says those words, and I think it's so hilarious. He's like, no, the bomb's about to go off. Leave me. I lost my powers. I'm no good anymore. And it's like, what the... Dude, just fucking get in the thing. Just let let one of your students carry you, man. Yeah, it's like, Jesus fucking Christ, it's not that big of a deal. Just get in the car. <laughs> and as as we sort of wrap up, I want to posit one last thing to you. Mm-hmm. I have seen online multiple times that this 
group, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, who, like, we are focusing on with this episode, has been compared to a specific TV sitcom cast. And I want to know if you've heard about this. Is it It's Always Sunny? Yes, it is. Is it? Because, if you think about it, there's the patriarch at the top, the two bickering siblings. Yeah. And their friend who just sort of hangs out out in the background yeah and their other friend who's like a little rat man interesting that's hilarious actually that's very interesting like it's very much the gang from it's always sunny and that and i think reading this issue picturing that made it 10 times better for me makes it a lot more engaging yeah i can see that if like you picture Rob McElhenney, like, making all these... If you picture Rob McElhenney turning Charlie Day's head into a pig, yep. it's so much better. I agree. I'll have to reread it with that mindset. Yes. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you, Chonk, for being the... My pleasure. M- ...most recurring guest at this point. Oh, boy. I'm not um, sure if that's a good thing. I don't know, because... We're recording this before we record an episode that comes out in April. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now this will have been your fourth appearance on the show. Um, you are one episode away from joining the Five Timers Club of this oh podcast. We'll get, we'll get Conan and everything. Give me a smoking jacket and Conan O'Brien. Yeah, and that... Yeah, we we will get Conan O'Brien. We will get you a smoking jacket. We will get you Steve Martin if you want. I want Elliot Gould, please. Oh, you want Elliot Gould to show up? He's who I want because I love Ocean's Eleven. I know you do. And I love Ocean's Thirteen just as much. And I what like about Ocean's 12? Twelve just a little less. Okay. Just a little less. Hey, Brad Pitt's in there. That comes back to the Vanisher thing. He's in all of them. That's right. Um... Thank you all for listening, and remember, this toad is hashtag not my toad. Goodbye, everybody. Recommended reading with Jackson Heyman's theme music was written by Charlotte Rosenthal. Recommended reading with Jackson Heyman is produced by Mythonomica Productions. Thank you for listening.